I have said this all to you to keep you from falling away. May the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The Gospel this morning is Jesus telling his disciples about the Counselor, the Comforter, the the, um, Paraclete, the Holy Spirit, and what he shall do. And then he says, I have said all this to you to keep you from falling away. And then he talks about how they're going to put him out of the synagogue. And when people kill them, they think that they'll be offering a service to God. And the word that's used at the very end of of the, the first verse of chapter 16 there, it says, keep you from falling away. The King James just says something a little bit different, but it's, it's the same idea. But the word is, is scandal. This is going to be real complicated. In the Greek, it's scandalize or scandal, scandalizoid. In Latin, it's scandalous. Real hard to translate. What is a scandal? I mean, like literally, what is a scandal? A scandal is simply this. It is a stone or a block that you trip over, that causes you to fall. Now, the connotation, of course, today is that a scandal is some some salacious sin that everybody hears about, and oh, the scandal. And the reason why they say that is, is back in the old days, that was a it was not just a you know an, an inconvenient thing, or it would, but it was something that was terrible because it would cause people to fall they might follow after that same wretched sinner who had done that public sin. It was the scandal. It was the stone that would cause you to fall. But that's not the, 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 really the, the connotation that Jesus has here. Jesus is talking about falling away because of evil. Because of bad things happening. Now... There are two reasons why people fall away from the faith because of evil. The first is external, and it's, it's really rather simple. In philosophical terms, it is the problem of evil. And that is that people look at the world, and they see malformed children with horrible birth defects. They see cancer. They see murder. They see... Uh, natural disasters like earthquakes and fires where people die. And they say, well, there cannot be a God that allows all of this. And so they sit and judge God. But by what standard do they judge him? You see, there's only, it's not possible to have good and evil without God. Oh, sure, you can have your own opinion about what you like and don't like, but that's not some sort of universal standard. Just because you think that something is right or wrong doesn't mean I have to believe it. In no way. I don't care if the whole bunch of you get together and have a vote after this service saying we need to murder, okay, Deacon Dave. And we've all decided it's the right thing to do. I'm happy for your little convocation. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's it's just a group of people's opinions. 
Germany elected Adolf Hitler and killed six million Jews. It was just their opinion. It was objectively wrong. But there is no objectively wrong without a moral law, and there's no moral law without any law, without a legislator. <laughs> you see? And so as soon as you sit there and say, I don't believe in God because of the evil in the world, God ceases to exist, fine, and your idea of evil's out the window too. You see, it's nonsense. There is no good or evil without God. It's just your opinion that you're welcome to have. But if a guy like me reduces somebody to that and they can see the sense of it, then they just go to the, the fallback position, well, I don't like your God. Sure. I get that. You don't like my God. Okay. I mean, I don't know what I'm supposed to say to him about that, except this. There's a reason for the things that you see in the world. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but of the will of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the glorious liberty of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning with labor pains together until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, if you didn't catch that, this is what happened at the fall of man. A wrench was thrown into the universe. Not just us. Yeah, sure. I mean, Adam and Eve die, and we all die too as a result of that. You know, there is no death before sin. Adam and Eve would still be here today along with all of humanity if they had not sinned. And so it is with the world. The world would not have earthquakes and volcanoes and mosquitoes biting you and cancer and bad teeth and broken marriages and children that don't respect you and all the other things if it wasn't for sin. The very fabric of the universe was ruined by sin. How important is man to God? I see evil in the world, and I think to myself, wow, we, we really wrecked it, didn't we? It's okay to have your heart broken by it, but it's ridiculous to say that there is no God because of it. In fact, it proves that there is a God, especially when in the inner man you say, that's wrong, that's evil. Now, the second reason that people fall away is because of internal evils. That is, evil things that happen to them. And again, there's a litany. Mom and dad died. Brother or sister died. Child died. Um, car accidents. Uh, you lost your job. Um, you know, your wife ran off with some other guy. Whatever it might be. Cancer. Illness. You, I'm asking you to use your imagination. It wouldn't take too much. What pain you have, felt now, felt before, might feel in the future. And of course, 
the Christian response to that is, is the virtue of fortitude. I won't leave it at that, but I do have to say it. Patience, the ability to suffer evils well, or the equanimity, the, 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 the calmness in the face of evil. Perseverance, the virtue by which one persists in the arduous good until the end is achieved. <clears throat> Longanimity, bet you never heard of that one. I hadn't either. Longness of soul or the ability to await the good. Mortification, the willingness to suffer. Now, I could just, I suppose, say, yeah, pull, your, pull yourselves up by your bootstraps, folks. Deal with the evil in your life with fortitude. But that's not what we're left with. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. The Apostle Paul is writing this from prison. It is not pleasant for him, I assure you. A modern day prison is a, a country, is a, I mean, it's unbelievable. They would, you would commit a crime to be in a modern day prison compared to this prison. You think they owe you food? <laughs> Maybe, a little bit. He's suffering, and he writes to the Colossians, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Now he does not mean that somehow the atonement is incomplete, and that Jesus' blood shed on the cross for you will not save you to the uttermost it will. But what he's talking about is the body of Christ that is still in the world. Jesus says, and greater things you will do as the church marches on. And people continue to suffer for the body of Christ. Now, we must exclude any suffering that takes place as a natural consequences for evil doing. As Peter says, you don't want to suffer for being a bad person. But if you suffer for being a good person, that's good. What do you do? What do you do with that suffering? You do the same thing that the Apostle Paul does. He unites it to the suffering of Christ. And then in this instance, he is applying his sufferings to the church at Colossae. You see, he's saying, God, take this suffering, okay, mingled with the suffering of Christ, and apply it to, to the Colossians. Benefit them. Now, the first person I would say that should benefit from your own personal sufferings is you, of course. God, take this suffering and sanctify me. But it's not just simply you. You can apply it to your spouse. You can ask God to apply it to your children. You can ask God to apply it. And this is what I'm going to ask of you this week. You can ask God to apply your sufferings to the mission and work of this parish just for one week. I'm not asking for your money. I'm asking for your pain. That you would ask God to take the sufferings that you have and that he would bless this ministry, our ministry. That we would reach people for Christ 
and we would disciple them to maturity. Would you give me your pain just this week? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.